Welcome to the TAGT Podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. Today, we're chatting with Dr. Mary Christopher and Dr. Cecilia Boswell. Mary Christopher completed degrees at Texas Tech University and the University of Louisville. She taught gifted children for 15 years and worked as professor at Hardin-Simmons University for 24 years. She served as director of the Master's in Gifted Education and the Doctorate in Leadership. She served as a board member and president of TAGT. She co-authored Leadership for Kids. She works as an adjunct professor and consultant in areas of gifted education and leadership with her company, CGL Consulting. Cecilia Boswell taught migrant and gifted students, served as the advanced academics consultant for uh, ESC 14, and the executive director of advanced academics for Waco ISD. She is a consultant in district evaluation of gifted services and professional learning and gifted education and leadership nationally and throughout Texas. Dr. Boswell served on the TAGT Board of Directors as TAGT President and as President of the Council of Exceptional Children with the Association of the Gifted. She has co-authored six books, including a chapter in an upcoming book by Susan Johnson and Joyce Van Tassel-Vasca. She also consults with Austin Creek Educational Systems. Thank you both for being here. Great to be here. (laughs) I'm really excited to jump into this. And uh, one of the, the big ideas that we're tackling uh, today in this podcast, and we'll go wherever the conversation goes, but we're, we're trying to talk about leadership. And so before we get into that, I'd love to kind of find out about your journey into the gifted educational world, because I see you two both as great leaders in this world. So I'm sure there's a, um, a connection there and, and, and maybe uh, why you wanted to explore this topic. But can I start with you, Dr. Christopher? Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into the gifted educational world. Well, I think for many of us, we grew up as, as gifted children, which was kind of our start, but I grew up in a time when services were really not provided for gifted children, and I didn't step into that until I was teaching in Oklahoma, and they were beginning a gifted program, and I got to be on the ground floor in my district with that. Um, they sent me to a lot of training, and I, I really got turned on to providing for the needs of these kids. So I continued to do that when I was in Louisville, worked with gifted children there. I taught in a self-contained gifted class. And then when we moved back to Texas, I had the opportunity, as you said, to teach at at the university level and help train teachers that were going to work with these particular kids. And that was really exciting for me um, to, to, to understand giftedness from their angle and how they can facilitate that. Eventually, I also moved into the leadership realm, and we'll talk a little more about that, of, of how I got interested in leadership. Um, and, and leadership kind of helped me see how that merges with gifted ed in some ways. And so I got interested in that as well. I'm also the parent of two gifted children who are now adults and um, very different gifted children. And so it was fascinating as I studied it to see that play out in two people's lives that I cared about greatly. Um, So that's just a little brief idea of how I ended up where I am. Yeah, and I love that. I I think there's so many people that can relate to um, giftedness being a part of their journey, Um, not just something that you uh, enter into, but something that you've had, whether it's a, you know, explicit connections with or people in your life or you yourself. So Thank you so much for that. Dr. Boswell, what about your journey here? Similar to Mary's in the early years, there were no gifted services and most people looked at it as, oh, making a hundred on everything and straight A's. And if you didn't fit that mold, well, there wasn't anything. And my parents insisted I fit that mold, but I don't think that was really my exact mold. But then I had the opportunity to be teaching in a small school. And for those out there who know small and rural, they know that you end up doing everything. So along with teaching my wonderful migrant students, uh, the 
principal said, okay, now we want you to add on gifted. And that was an adventure I took and enjoyed. And because of it, then I moved to the Education Service Center for 15 years and had the opportunity to work with teachers across our region in developing their gifted services. So we brought students from around the region in to do all sorts of things. And uh, that was exciting. Uh, then in my business, I did a great deal of uh, professional learning across the state and nation, and then went to Waco uh, to do be the leader there. And I'd never been in an urban area. So that was a whole new thing. And it was all 90% uh, poverty and uh, really learned a great deal. Uh, developed a middle school gifted academy and uh, with some leadership in, within it. So that was interesting. And, and then I get to write with Mary and J.J. Colburn and, and other great people across our country and, and watch gifted kids. I have two gifted children, as Mary said, very different. Um, one's creatively gifted and the other one's creatively gifted and everything else in between. So um, all sorts of uh, interesting life watching I have grandchildren, some of which are gifted, some that aren't, and uh, they're all still good. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of my adventure. Um, living Cecilia in a small town with no trouble. Cecilia and I connected when she was at the service center in Abilene. So we began doing some professional development together, professional learning for teachers and working at schools. And, and so our... Um, that started our connection and we continue to collaborate and bounce ideas off each other. We uh, don't live in the same city. Uh, I live in Abilene and she lives in De Leon. And uh, so we Zoom a lot and communicate a lot and then meet sometimes at a restaurant or something. Um, and that's one of the joys of gifted education is the connections I've made with people like Cecilia. But, you know, my experience, I, I worked in very different districts um, because when I started in Oklahoma, it was a smaller town. Um, the town and the area was about 20,000 people where I started my work with Gifted Ed. And then when I worked in Louisville, Kentucky, it was at that time one of the largest school districts in the nation. And so what they could do was very different than what we could do in a small town in Oklahoma. Um, and then when we moved to Abilene, Abilene is kind of a mid-size. They can do a lot of things that little small towns can't, but not as much as some of the districts perhaps in the Houston area or Austin area or Dallas-Fort Worth area that can really provide a lot of opportunities. And so one of the things that I did when I was at Hardin-Simmons is I, and I continue to do with my consulting firm is I offer a, a summer camp for gifted children. And that keeps me connected with the joy of learning and the excitement they experience there along with working with school districts. That's amazing. And it seems like you both uh, are very representative of, of, I feel like the TAGT experience in terms of there's so many different types of districts out in the state of Texas. There's so many different types of students in the state of Texas. And yet we're all kind of brought to this field of gifted education and, and what's our role in impacting. And, and, and as we kind of talk about leadership too, I, I'm kind of wondering just in response to what y'all said, does serving something like leadership, does that look different depending on perhaps the size of a district, uh, um, maybe the the culture of the district and and just knowing that uh, Dr. Boswell I love that you said one of your first experiences was uh, just being kind of given the GT kids I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people and teachers who are like hey by the way we're going to add this on you know I just wonder if kind of the culture around gifted services depending on where you're at impacts do we get to serve a dimension like like leadership or really any dimension of giftedness what what do you think Dr. Boswell? 
Well, uh, interesting that you should ask that because my dissertation was about leadership in rural gifted kids. And while I looked at three different sizes of schools, uh, you have to realize in the Abilene and surrounding area, we don't have any huge school districts. But what I found was that there were more leadership opportunities within the community in the very small places. Things like, I am, you know, this is a high school student. I'm a deacon at my church. That's because they don't have many people. Or I mow my, my neighbor's lawn because he can't do it anymore. And the larger the, the school became, I had three distinct districts, of uh, the more school-based was the focus of their leadership. And nothing wrong with any of it. It was just sort of an interesting thing. And I will tell you, too, I've uh, been elected to our local school board. The president of the school board is a former gifted student of mine. And the vice president is a former gifted student of mine. So I don't know that I've had that much influence on them, but it is an interesting time to be on the school board where they were in fourth grade. <laughs> so. I think too, we, we have to kind of, uh, my, my experience has been similar in smaller districts, smaller towns, a lot of times it's easier for that leadership to uh, emerge um, because they're given more opportunities. And in a larger district, you kind of have to compete for that spot. But we also need to enlarge our perception of leadership in that it doesn't mean that I'm the president of an organization. I can lead a committee or a small group or an initiative or, um, you know, we have to realize we lead in different ways and not that there are, there are some programs out there that say everybody's a leader. I don't really agree with that. Uh, everybody is not a leader, um, but there are leadership qualities they may exhibit, but we do lead within the realm we're in. So um, I think that plays out with what Cecilia said that in the rural setting, they get to lead in, in really adult ways, fairly young, uh, where for larger cities, maybe it starts in a school setting and maybe it's, you know, I'm a leader on my baseball team. I'm a leader in working on a group project. I'm a leader on taking an initiative with something I care about deeply. So we also have to look at how leadership plays out in those different settings, but it does look different, I think. You know, that's fascinating too. That reminds me of a, a, a project a few of our teachers did this past year where they talked about examples to leadership just to kind of gauge from our students, who do they think of when they think of leadership? And it's funny that I don't know if they said the typical, you know, the governor, the president or the mayor I think they were quicker to say leaders such as uh, people within their family, uh, students of faith, um, you know, things of that nature. So that is interesting too, uh, the perception of leadership and maybe building that within the students. Um, that's a bit anecdotal, but yeah, that, that's, that's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that kind of led to what Cecilia and I and, and JJ did with our book in that it's not so much about identifying who's the leader and who isn't, but developing leadership so that when the, the situation emerges, they have some understanding of leadership and some ways to work in the leadership realm in whatever setting they're in. So I think that supports what we believe about leadership. If you will indulge me, I found a, a uh, 
definition of gifted that I think leads right into this. This is Dr. Jim Delisle, well known across everything. Giftedness is an innate ability to both detect and comprehend the world in complex ways that differ significantly from age expected norms. So when we think about our gifted kids, this innate ability to see around them, uh, that ability, they seem to thrive on problem solving, uh, they learn more quickly, their hypersensitivity, all lends itself to leadership uh, as, as they go through their school or um, their faith, their community, whatever it is. Um, I think that's why we sometimes look at gifted. I agree with Mary that you don't have to be gifted to be a leader, but I think the characteristics of giftedness very often manifest itself. And I like Delisle's look at it because it is a worldview and the ability to see things. I agree, Cecilia, and even, uh, you know, the state and the national definition of giftedness includes leadership, and we don't often identify for leadership. I don't think it's necessary, necessary to identify it, but what we found in our experience is oftentimes teachers and schools turn to gifted kids expecting them to be leaders and to have strengths in leadership without any real preparation of how to lead well. And so sometimes they exhibit some of the negative qualities of leadership being perhaps very authoritarian and directing everybody and telling everybody what to do. And uh, so it's, it is an area that needs to be developed so that they develop good ethical skills of leadership and not um, sometimes the negative uh, characteristics that might come out with leadership. And so we expect gifted kids to lead, not that they all will, and not that they all have strengths in that area, but teachers often turn to them for leadership and just expect them to know how to do it. And they, they don't know how to do it. They can learn, but they don't know how to do it. One of the things that I have seen work well as far as leadership I don't hear so much about it now, but the servant leadership uh, curriculum, if you will, um, has really appealed to the gifted kids that, that need to save the weight, if you will, uh, that, that innate need to help others. And in servant leadership, those who are not the extroverts the ones who are willing to put themselves out really find the road. And that's what I really like about when Mary brought to us um, the, what we wrote about the frames of leadership, because then it looks at all the different ways to lead depending on your group and depending on the needs of the group. And, and fits well with servant leadership. It seems like that has been a big impetus uh, along the way. Absolutely. Mary, I want to talk about the frames and, and, and her, her experience with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know that the, the frames are a big part of your book, Leadership for Kids, Curriculum for Building uh, intentional leadership in gifted learners. And it's so fascinating to hear what you're saying that uh, um, gifted students, uh, as you say in the book, possess the seeds of gifted leadership um, and are expected to lead because of their intellectual capacity. So it is pretty fascinating to me that there's a conversation to be had of what does that look like, whether it's servant leadership or, or how do you develop these characteristics? Because you're right, I think we've all had the impact of a great leader and a not so great leader um, and do gifted students who I, I, I would think need self-regulatory help in their um, educational journey, right? If they need that, what are we doing to speak to uh, and prepare them for 
leadership situations. And so obviously it feels like your book starts to move into that gap and give some clarity for teachers. Yes, it does. And I was going to kind of bounce off what you just said, as well as what Cecilia said. Um, I got interested in the, in the frames of leadership when I studied uh, one summer at Harvard and Bowman and Deal uh, have developed this model and uh, done major research on it in corporations, in schools, in all settings. And it just made sense to me because it moves from the idea of saying, I am this kind of leader, you know, I'm a servant leader, to I'm in this situation, which frame of leadership do I need to lead out of this time? And so, and I think particularly for gifted students who are, who are thinkers and processors, they, once they learn this, they can use it well. And so, for example, there are four frames, structural, human resources, political and symbolic. And if a student or an adult looks at a situation, let's say we're new to a school, you've got a new principal, and they are coming in and trying to decide, how do I need to start out by leading here? Well, they might start out with the symbolic frame where they pick an image or a theme for the year that they help call the teachers and staff and students to action for that year. And the symbolic so kind of creates those rituals and those understanding that cast the, the vision. But if they only stay in the symbolic frame, they really can't lead well because they've got to back that up with a structural frame that sets procedures and um, kind of a plan excuse me, for them to follow. Uh, and if they don't move into that and they just stay in symbolic, everybody might love their vision, but it's never going to happen if they don't also use the structural frame. And then if they want to get other people on board, they've got to use the human resources frame to figure out the strengths of the people they're working with and how they can mesh that with what they're trying to do with their vision. And then the political one, which I wish they came up with a different name for that, because it's not about politics, but it's about power. It's about the power within a school and being smart enough to get people on board with you or to set, to solve problems that come up. And so the you will have to use that political frame at some point. So really a good leader uses all the frames instead of just one. So I can't rest in the fact that I am a great symbolic leader. I can come up with great themes and I can set a vision. If I don't use the other frames, I'm not gonna be an effective leader. And so I think it's important for us to teach gifted students all of those frames and then help them understand in a particular setting which one would I start with? Which one would I move to next? How would I support that? So to me, I came back from Harvard thinking, first of all, this made a lot of sense for me, but also it made sense for kids and they had not really developed it for kids. So that's what JJ and Cecilia and I wanted to do is develop it for kids. And that really comes through within y'all's book, very clearly um, specific activities through the lens of those frames. Uh, to kind of get that going. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's powerful. And, and kind of going back to um, Dr. Boswell, have you seen um, the impact of this or impact of activities like this and how that can change um, what teachers are doing with students in a meaningful way? Yes, uh, we've watched, we've had some schools who have used this and uh, the kids is as Mary pointed out, the fun one is the symbolic one. And kids are, oh, let's have, we, we have our mascot and we have this and that. Um, but when you begin to uh, show them the other frames, then they begin to understand. And I'm going back to 
that innate ability of them, their sensitivity, they, they can read other people and then know, oh, I've got to make sure that these certain students are on board with us and it can't just be fun and games. And we're never gonna get anywhere if we're only playing all the time we're never going to get anything finished. And I, I talked to a high school principal recently just to get some insight into high school kids, uh, primarily student council. And she said, well, you know, they always had all these good ideas, but they never could finish any project. They just wanted to do the fun stuff or things that were already, if you will, structured. So it really told me that there's a place for this in our secondary schools. And in fact, we're looking at that right now. But I think that happens a great deal with our high school kids and, and middle school. Uh, they have a lot of great ideas, but they don't know how to use the structural frame to really get going, to understand the power bases and understand how to handle conflict instead of just taking over. And um, so I, I see it in that way. And that's really, that's really interesting to me too, because I've, I find that there's a parallel there with, with uh, defining giftedness in terms of um, if there isn't um, structure to back up what that is and clarity, people will move into what their assumptions are about it, which may be, lacking of the depth that's there. So I, I love that y'all are bringing so much clarity to that uh, because otherwise I wonder if leadership or so-called leadership activities without a structure like this, without the structural frame, right, could turn into, yeah, I'll just put you in charge of a group and that'll be my checkbox for the leadership activity when that may not provide a lot of meaning and direction for students who are looking to develop those qualities. And we, we don't help students when we don't give them the tools they'll need uh, down the road or right now, we have to uh, we have to make sure that that's a part of their learning too, along with AP English and all the others. <laughs> yeah, I wish at at some point in my background of K through twelve, I had some training in leadership because when I moved into the adult world and I was put in settings where I had to lead. I didn't always lead effectively initially. Um, I, you know, I must probably the easiest frame for me is structural. I kind of see things structurally and I can set things up, but I can't do it by myself. I've got to have other people on board with me. And so I had to learn how to call out the strengths in other people through the human resources frames. I didn't know that term at the time. Um, and, and get them on board with using their strengths and their gifts to help us move forward along with me and to work alongside them. But um, to me, wouldn't that be wonderful for students to finish high school with this understanding and developing some of these skills so as they move into more of an adult world, they already know how to do that instead of having to learn it later. There are, there are places, uh, FFA, they have leadership contests, FCCLA, they do, but they focus on, as best I can understand, they focus on Robert's Rules of Order, and that's an important skill. But I wonder what else they're doing uh, that really gets down to understanding and people in groups. I'm not, I just don't know them. Mary, I'm learning. <laughs> right, right. And I, that's, we're, be, we're kind of beginning to work on our next book, which is, is going to look at um, helping students in organizations, particularly in high school, develop their understanding of the frames. And, and one we particularly looked at is FFA because they, they're known for developing leaders. 
um, and we need to learn more about how they do that. And I do know they know Robert's rules of orders inside out and can function. Well, that's the structural frame and they really have developed that well. Um, but as Cecilia said, have, if we can guide them to use the other frames, they will be even more effective leaders. Um, so there are some organizations that and student council and, you know, um, a lot of organizations that look at leadership, but maybe this will be something that can strengthen what they do in developing leaders. There's a, there's so much there. And, and I'm, I'm wondering if I'm a, if I'm a teacher listening to this conversation or a parent who's gone, Oh man, thinking of those, those frames, I've kind of done a, a, a Buzzfeed quiz type evaluation of me and my kiddos. And I see where we are at and where we're lacking. So what are some, maybe some first steps in terms of if you're a, a teacher or a parent of like, how should I think about leadership in relation to my student or kid? And uh, what can I begin to do to maybe foster or grow those seeds that you talked about of, of leadership characteristics? Well, put, the, put them in leadership roles, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, places that talk a great deal about leadership so that you can observe how they respond and where their comfort zone is and where it isn't and begin to develop those yeah, I think two things that I would talk about that we uh, that we did use in the book that I think apply to both parenting and teaching uh, is to start with leader stories that when you look at somebody in history or somebody in a book or somebody on a TV show or um, that led and maybe didn't lead as effectively as they could. Um, but that you look for which, you know, you talk about which frame did they lead out of and did they stay in that frame? You know, is this somebody who's structural and they just stayed in that structural frame? And if they wanted to develop as a leader, what could they have gone to what we call reframing? Could, what other frame could they have used? So I think leader stories is a good way to start. And um, a lot of gifted kids enjoy leaders in history. That sometimes that starts with the study of presidents and they like studying that. And, but then other leaders in history, but it can be people they know and, and kind of they do a, an evaluation. And another piece that adds to that that we use in the book is, is a debrief. I think as parents and as teachers, you can't assume that the student is making those connections. So you need to spend some time after something happens or when they look at a leader story talking about what happened there. Okay, she did really well with the symbolic leadership. She set a vision and she picked that mascot and all, all those things and then it just died. Well, why did that happen? How, what other frame could they have used in addition to that first frame? And so the debrief is really important. For me as a parent, a lot of times conversation happened in the car, driving someplace. I love car conversations. And so that would be an easy time to kind of debrief about what happened with your coach today? You know, he motivated you well for the game. But then when things, when problems came, maybe he didn't handle that as well. What could he have done differently? And not that we're judging people, but we're looking to, can we learn from what they do so that when we move into leadership roles? So I think both the leader stories and the debrief are really important. Um, conversations, we assume we assume this with adults, but we've assumed this with gifted kids that they're making all these connections and they probably are in some ways, but they need to have a conversation about it to gel it. And that's what the debrief is. Well, and they haven't had the experiences we've had in order to make some of those connections. And uh, while they can handle them and we should help them with them, uh, just a lack of experience but you can take 
what experiences they've had and build on those. I've just done a sort of a deep dive in leadership books that are out there for students. And uh, there are a couple of good ones besides Apple's <laughs> that are uh, out there, but primarily they are biographies and autobiographies. That, and so as Mary said, then, okay, that's out there, then let's use it with the kids to say, what was the frame or what could they have done differently? Uh, because everything's out there and yes, if the kids really do like biographies, autobiographies, people along that line. So even taking time to study leaders, which we all have leaders in our life, again, whether they're great, bad, or in between, that's valuable and can provide a lot of clarity, but it seems like there's a, a big need for reflection. There's a big need for connection making, and that's not always a given with gifted students. And, and again, it feels like your, your curriculum kind of moves into that gap. And, and I think that those are some encouraging tips for parents. Um, I'm wondering too, especially knowing what we talked about earlier, how big of a state that we have here in a variety of districts, how can districts begin to kind of incorporate leadership into what they do and let's maybe focus in on on elementary but if you'd love to get into secondary as it sounds like y'all are invested in moving forward but you know uh knowing that you might have a a, a bigger district maybe like uh you know dallas versus uh, something smaller like uh i don't know maybe just abilene by comparison even though that's still bigger than most but um how, how do we get started as maybe educational leaders trying to implement this and 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 maybe in a world where it's tough to get gifted going as it is i think one way to start if and this to me could happen in a small or a large district is it becomes a unit of study you know that in our gifted program or uh, you know or within a curriculum we spend six weeks on it not every day talking about leadership every day but that we touch on it one day a week, or um, we do some intentional learning about it. Um, and if it's in a, built in a gifted elementary program, you can easily do that. You can build that into your curriculum. Um, if, you, if you have more of a uh, cluster group in a regular classroom, perhaps you study it within the content of what you're studying. So if we're studying community leaders in early elementary, which is one thing that we do study, that you talk about leadership characteristics and do some leadership activities along with that. When you get to upper elementary, particularly in social studies, we study history and we can look at historical leaders. We read literature and there's oftentimes, particularly in problem novels, leadership experiences that we could pull out and talk about. So to me, you start with teaching them and this in our book can do this, the basic frames. So they, they come with an understanding. You might even put that on the wall of your classroom so that when you talk about a piece of literature, you can pull that in, that it doesn't have to become always a separate unit of study because our, our days are full but that we talk about a particular character in a book that maybe even a book as simple as the Babysitter's Club, you know, that became sort of a leader for organizing that club. And, you know, um, and we refer to that from our classroom. So I think it takes some intentional teaching at the beginning, but then it be can become more infused in the curriculum and you know, if we infuse it in the curriculum, it, it builds their understanding. So eventually they own it. For me, the longer I've worked with this model, the more I understand it. And I had experienced that with Cecilia and JJ. When I first introduced it to them, they liked it, but they both have said the longer they've worked with it, the more they love it because they understand it better. And kids will do the same thing. Cecilia, what what would you add? Another, I'm thinking another way, um, you know, the state requires that our gifted kids have a product of professional quality. The Texas Performance Standards Project or something similar, that would be a really good 
way to infuse it. And it might, you know, we like gifted kids to have choices. So it might not be everybody in the group or the cluster group, but that could be that, uh, that one area of the performance standards that uh, lets kids choose what they do. Uh, that could be their, their own private independent study. And many teachers, uh, once they buy into pre-testing and understanding when kids already know something, then that is something that they could work on in their own, their own center or the, the group, a cluster group too. So I, I see that as another avenue of maybe not as uh, infused as what Mary said, and I like that better because it then becomes a part of who they are, how they are. But if they, if we could just get them to look at it in an independent study, I think that would be another way to do it. And something that Cecilia said that sparked an idea in, in my head that I hadn't really even thought of, that even one of the things we work on with kids is learning how to work in groups well. And so perhaps they try on different frames when they're in the group. So this time you're going to bring the structural side to the group and you're going to bring the human resources side and you're going to bring so that they kind of take on that role. And maybe that's not their natural tendency, but they, for that activity, they are the one that, you know, is going to provide that structure for the group. And that maybe would help them develop the skills as they work in a group and, and maybe help them function a little better in a group. Um, instead of just taking charge and running the group, I, um, I think sometimes gifted kids, when they get in a group, tend to all of a sudden become the authoritarian leader telling everybody in the group what to do or doing it all themselves instead of really developing uh, leadership skills. So just what she was talking about, the performance standards project, I think sometimes in that setting uh, and in, in the classroom, we could work use it to work on group skills. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. And, and kind of going back to of uh, Dr. Boswell, what you're saying, kind of the, the goal of gifted services of, hey, we're headed towards these kind of advanced uh, products and performances that, that students can do. And that's fascinating to think about when it comes to leadership as well. And transitioning a little bit to the impact on the secondary level, would you have any advice there? Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's things that campuses are already doing that we need to plug our gifted students into to give them those authentic experiences, to put them into leadership roles. What, what kind of encouragement maybe do you have for secondary campuses? Well, I, I just thought of this uh, band, marching band. I was the drum major. I had no clue about leadership, but hey, um, I think, you know, if you could actually work with, um, you know, they have a structure in band, the first chair or the lead of each section, and you could really work with that group um, and whoever, the drum majors, however that works, and work with them on how do we make us better? And, and I know Abilene has this fantastic band at one of the high schools, and it's huge. It's whoever wants to, and it's the student body wants to. And, uh, and working with large groups like that, um, choir, um, any kind of an organization. Uh, an interesting one that I'm going to work with in our small town is each of the banks has a junior bank board. And heretofore, all they've really done with them is teach them about banking, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> That's a good thing. But uh, I have offered to then work with them in working with that group that someone saw as leaders and then working with them in a leadership group. So you look in the community to see what's there 
and you look at the school, whatever's in place, because there need to be leaders somewhere. And it can even be in a classroom. I, I think about those really good classrooms that are project-based. My goodness, they definitely need it. And um, anything, a lab situation, where you have a lab partner, even with two people, it's important to look at the strengths of each person and to see how they see the world. Another idea I had, and this is again, as we're thinking about organizations are um, organizations like Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. Um, you know, you think of uh, if, a, if a boy, our girl stays in those programs when they become high school students, they do a, a service learning project. Um, and a lot of times they have to organize people in the community to work with them on that project. They have to raise money to pay for the project. They, um, they have to sell their idea to an organization to support them. Um, and I think, you know, there are other, um, service learning projects in other student organizations. I know FFA has service learning projects and a lot of organizations have added that to what they do, even like football teams that go and volunteer in the community. Um, so I think we, you know, any place that you can look for something that is already set up for students to lead if we can help them learn to lead well, they can practice those skills in, in that setting. But I think service learning is a great opportunity. Um, and sometimes, you know, you see these things on Facebook and social media, a student will just come up with their own idea and they're not part of an organization or anything and they get major funding and actually provide service to an organization or our children. I know there was a, a, a girl that collected stuffed animals to give to children with cancer, you know, and she just came up with that idea on her own. And I'm sure her parents helped her with some of the organization, but um, sometimes they get passionate about something and they lead out in that passion. There's, I have sort of an off the wall one here, which is pretty typical of me, so get ready. Um, years ago, uh, when the seven different kinds of knowing came along, and you were a federal spatial learner or this or that, that we had a district that really got into that. And what happened was that there were kids who had never been recognized for any kind of a strength, that all of a sudden they were the leader in a certain area. And I don't think we have to go to the extreme of labeling kids, but I think the, the real, a really good outcome of leadership could be finding those kids who never had opportunities with leadership, uh, whether gifted, not gifted, but recognizing that everyone brings something to the table. And I think that the frames really help us do that. They really talk to us about looking at everybody in the group and looking for how we make this work, if you will. And, and I, I really, worked with my migrant students who were not often in, in the group uh, because they came and went. Um, I can see, well, one of my former migrant students was on the city council in our small town. And I don't know that we ever did anything that helped her, but evidently something sparked. And, uh, and different, you know, they've, they've all gone on and made good citizens, let's put it that way, in whatever. I think the other thing that we can look at is, 
that leadership often looks different based on gender and based on uh, ethnicity and culture, cultural experiences, and that we understand that in, in Cecilia talking about oftentimes students that didn't get the opportunity to be a leader, it emerged in that setting. And I think we have to look for how leadership might look different in a different culture. Um, or, you know, for years, our model of leadership was really a, a white male model. And we know now that females bring a different picture of leadership to the table sometimes and different ethnicities. Hispanic leadership might look different than Caucasian leaders. Um, and that we need to learn how how that fits with leadership and how we pull that, you know, help them feel confident in they have something to bring to the table that we need um, and their leadership unique leadership is important for us um, and I think we're doing a, a better job of that we're not there yet but we've made some progress of understanding at least that leadership looks different in different cultures and different genders Absolutely. There, yeah, there's a cultural relevancy piece that I think will resonate with a lot. And, and again, going back to the examples that y'all talked about of students making an impact as a leader or um, with at least leadership qualities within their world, within their culture, within their school community or at home, that's going to look different. And, and, and how do we prepare kids? And I keep, as y'all are talking through these different scenarios, I just keep coming back to how valuable it would be for a student who does have a passion to be a leader, to be in a project or in a situation where maybe it doesn't work out, but now they have a frame or a framework to be able to say, oh, it's because I'm, I'm overdoing the vision part. I haven't actually set up something uh, to get people to buy in and to go with me on it, or I haven't done the human resources aspect of it. I just find that to be so valuable to, to help a student create that advanced product to get it over the finish line because they have a frame of reference to lean on to say, hey, now I know how to make it happen. Well, this is great. And we're, we're so thankful for you all today. And, and we're not done yet because with each podcast, we like to end it with our fast five. These are five quick yet challenging questions to wrap up each discussion and leave us convicted to learn more about the varied dimensions of gifted education. So I'm going to throw these and I'd love to uh, get both of your responses. Again, they're probably big questions worth a podcast themselves, but we'll try to keep it quick here. Um, we'll start with Dr. Boswell. What are some areas where GT education falls short? Identification. Uh, especially nowadays that we really do consider other cultures and twice exceptional. Dr. Christopher, what, how would you respond to that? Where do we fall short in gifted education? I agree with her, but I think also in the area of services that oftentimes gifted education is the leftover. Um, you know, because we have so many things, demands, requirements in schools that oftentimes gifted education gets pushed aside because we have to meet all these other requirements. So I, I would agree with Cecilia and, and we continue to work on how can we improve our identification, but also services and that it needs to be more of a priority in schools. These students deserve services as much as other students deserve services. And we don't always see that. Great answers. Question number two, uh, I'll start with Dr. Christopher this time. And again, it's a broad question, but knowing that we're here, especially after this conversation about leadership, who has inspired you? Wow. Um, <laughs> that's a hard one. Um, gosh, so many people. She mentioned Jim Delisle earlier. Jim Delisle was a person that I have studied throughout my career and he continues to inspire me. His passion, 
his understanding of all aspects of gifted students. He, you know, he holds that they need to have intellectual ability, but he also is concerned about their social emotional needs. And that's always been a concern of mine as well. So I would say Jim Delisle, I could list multiple people, but probably of experts in the field, he's impacted me a lot. I'm with Mary on that one, but also without seeming like this is sort of self-serving, the State Association, Texas Association for Gifted and, uh, Students, um, the, all of the leaders who came before, uh, all the ones that are still there, uh, the past presidents is a very cohesive group, uh, our office there in Austin, and then when we see each other at conferences, it's, it is so easy to be inspired or re-inspired uh, because we have conversations that often we don't get to have in other places. So, daily it changes who it is. Absolutely, and I echo that as well as someone who has greatly benefited from uh, y'all's leadership uh, and work through TAGT. Uh, for all those listening, how about a book recommendation uh, to either continue this conversation or just a part of uh, gifted education more broadly? Uh, what's a book you would recommend for our listeners? And uh, we'll start with Dr. Boswell. I'll start with Mary. I'm thinking. <laughs> You're going to put me on the spot. I'm going to put you on the spot because I'm still, I'm a thinker, you know, I've got to think about it. Yeah, well, I'm going to start with one that Jim Delisle actually wrote. It's it's not a new book, but it it's entitled When Gifted Kids Don't Have All the Answers. And I just think it it will help you understand who they are as people and not just who they are as achievers, because not all gifted students achieve. Um, the other one, I don't have a, uh, a title, but I think there are a lot of people out there that have written on differentiation. And I just went blank on her name, the professor from Virginia. Caroline Tomlinson. Caroline Tomlinson, yes. Caroline Tomlinson was, uh, I had read some, I'd studied some on differentiation, but when I read read the first book I read of hers on differentiation, it helped me really understand the philosophy behind it, that it was not just a group of strategies, but it was accepting and understanding of what gifted students needed and that pre-assessment and ongoing assessment is so much a part of it. And it's not just, oh, you go do this while we do this. And uh, so anything that Caroline Tomlinson has written on differentiate differentiated instruction, I would recommend. She's written a lot of books. That's why I'm not giving you one title. Well, I'm gonna do sort of the same thing. There are a couple of things. One is anything that Dr. Susan Johnson or Dr. Cheryl Adams has written uh, would behoove you to read because it's great depth. Any either one of them, they are great depth. There's a structure you can use it. You can rely on the information. The other one that I have been referring many districts to read is Weinbrenner's Gifted in the Regular Classroom because so many districts, that's what they're doing. They don't have pullout, especially smaller districts. And while it's not, I guess, considered one of the top books, it does give them something uh, concrete to look at and how to structure it. Uh, they have them for the regular classroom, for the inclusive classroom, but um, she and Dina Rules, I think, um, have offered to places, a place to start, to get started, if they really want to do something, which goes back to what Mary said about, we need services. And the Weinbrenner book she mentioned, that's the one I always recommend to parents. And I tell them, don't buy your teacher a coffee cup mug for Christmas, <laughs> buy them this book, if your child is gifted, because 
for a teacher that doesn't know where to begin with providing services for gifted children in their classroom, it's an easy place to start. Now, there's a lot of more, a lot more study that needs to go on after that, but this is the place to start. And so I tell parents, buy that book and give it to your teacher. And it, it is a great tool for teachers. Wait, you're supposed to recommend gifted leadership for gifted. Well, that's right. I, I need to start doing that. <laughs> that's right. That's what I was going to say. Leadership for kids, curriculum for building intentional leadership and gifted learners by these people. You may have heard of them, Boswell, Christopher, and Colburn, for sure. Um, they're working on part two for secondary, I hear. So I think there's uh, some great... Uh, great information there which is which is so great to see and and uh one of the, my next question uh connects well with several things that y'all talked about uh but tell me about a student who wasn't identified as gt that you saw potential in and i, I immediately i kind of connect back to dr boswell what you said of so many students of yours going into leadership roles which is just amazing but uh was there maybe a student who wasn't gt for whatever reason but that you saw and maybe ended up doing great things Actually, it's one of my very first migrant students. And unfortunately, very few were ever identified. But she has taken a leadership role in our community, not the one that was on the city council, but she does oh, the bell ringing at Christmas. She uh, at one point had started a LULAC uh, group in our town. Um, she is always there but not at the forefront. And I think that had we identified her, and, and she was very bright on top of that, but if we had identified her, I think uh, we could have made other inroads for her. And she had a baby sister who has just published her first book of poetry. So um, they had some, some, some things going on, five, five girls in the family. Mary can identify with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Things that went on there. So that's mm -hmm. who I like, Mary. Oh, I could mention a lot of students, but one that just happened, it just jumped into my head. I had a student, I taught fifth grade in Louisville, and um, this was a student who had dysgraphia. It was really this first student where I even understood dysgraphia or knew what it was. And he had not been identified gifted and I taught in a self-contained gifted classroom. So everybody in my class was identified gifted. And he, be, he just continued to have emo social emotional problems in his classrooms, pretty severe. And I'm sure it related to his dysgraphia because he couldn't put on paper what he wanted to put on paper. And so kind of as a last resort, the counselor came to me and said, would you be willing for him to be in your class and let's see how that works out. And I, I was like, if it'll help him, we'll do it. And I always, I haven't, I don't have formal training in technology, but I've always loved technology. And when he came to my class, I was like, why are we trying to make this student right? Let's teach him how to word process. So we got him a laptop with special ed funds and I spent lunchtime, whatever time, teaching him how to type. And we got a program where he learned how to type. And once he developed the skills of typing, he was a beautiful writer. He And I think his frustration is he had all of this in his head, but his body wouldn't let him put it on paper. And, you know, a lot of time in my classroom, he would just write throughout the day. I mean, he had to do other things too, but it just opened him up. His behavior settled down. Um, I moved away a couple of years after that. So I don't know what he has done as an adult, but the change that happened in him that year from just a simple, you know, I just one day thought, why are we trying to teach him how to physically write? He's not going to be able to do that. Let's, and I really knew nothing about this graphy. I'm not trained in in that anything. And um, to think he had all of that beautiful writing inside of him, he was a really gifted writer, but he what he had not been able to put it on paper. So that would be my story uh, of a child that 
probably still was never identified at school um, because he still, you know, struggled because of his dysgraphia. But um, that, that's who jumped into my head. I could talk about a lot of other really special kids, but he was the one. I love hearing those stories and just knowing that we're all talent scouts in this business and, and looking for that everywhere. Uh, our last question here, it's a, a fill in the blank. So it's kind of a short answer here, but I think it's a, a great encouragement as we start to wrap things up here. But uh, fill in the blank. The best way to foster students' potential is? Care about them, develop a relationship with them, understand where they come from. Yeah. Uh, that's, I was going to say, get to know them as learners, but also as people. Um, because the more you understand about them, you can inspire them to learn. Wow, that's a great way to wrap this up. How can uh, our listeners uh, find out more about you or maybe get connected with you on social media? Well, um, I have a Facebook page. You could probably just Mary Christopher or CGL Consulting. I have a page for both of those. I also have a website. Uh, ChristopherGiftedLeadership.com and there's a lot of information there and I would love to work with your school district, with your parent group. Um, I work with other organizations in the city. My husband and I currently are doing a project with the United Way here um, related to some leadership things. So um, I would love to talk, talk to you more about leadership and about gifted ed. I work with lots of school districts uh, to evaluate programs, to trained teachers um, and love doing that. So look forward to hearing from you. Well, you can, you can Google me, but I have a website, austin-creek.com and uh, have a Facebook page. And I'm like Mary, I do a, a great deal of uh, program evaluation with districts, but also just coming in and um, helping get started. There's still a lot of districts out there who uh, don't have gifted services yet. And uh, so working with getting things going for gifted kids and uh, anything, we, we're both consultants and love to consult about gifted ed. And I love that y'all have had such an amazing impact uh, already in this great state of Texas and in gifted education. And thank you for being the leaders that you are. So uh, thanks again to our guests today, Dr. Cecilia Boswell and Dr. Mary Christopher. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the join tab. Renzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at renzulilearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12 and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.